0: Hello,
1: everybody. It's good to be back. Um, If you've uh, been following the podcast, of course, you may notice that November was a little thin. We had only one episode at the beginning of the month, and then there were just crickets chirping there for a while. And I want to apologize to everyone. I wanted to try to stick with our schedule. I was was trying to be very diligent with that and having at least two episodes a month. But the ugly COVID virus showed up at Red Toolhouse and uh, got all four of us. So both uh, Kelly and I and my two teenagers, we contracted it, and, and uh, were symptoms kind of interesting. We were symptomatic just one day after the other. So my youngest showed up symptoms on a Sunday. I was Monday. Uh, Liam, the oldest, was on a Tuesday, and Kelly showed up on Wednesday with her symptoms. And ironically enough, all three of them actually skated through it pretty well. Uh, you know, they still had some fatigue, a head cold type stuff cough, but um, I was good for the first five days and then it became a gastrointestinal thing. And without getting too disgusting, I'll just say that I felt like I was being stabbed repeatedly for eight days straight. So um, I got the blessing of uh, going to the hospital twice. I had, um, I lost 15 pounds in eight days. I ate nothing in eight days. And at times, I curled up and cried like a little girl. no, um, so yeah, it was not pleasant, and it uh, you know it's it's obviously um a very, very interesting virus. It just amazes me how indiscriminate it is, no matter your your vaccine status or no matter your uh, age, no matter your health i mean my father in law was the one who gave it to us uh and he is the poster child for somebody who should not have survived it and He just walked it off like it was nothing. So anyway, um, enough of that. Uh, That's that's not what this podcast is about. Good night. But um, all of that to say that that's why we've been gone. But man, I am so glad to be back. I would say if I had to scale things, I'm about 95% right now. Just get a little fatigued uh, doing some of the heavier farm chores and things. But other than that... um, no more worse for the wear. i will see if I can keep these 15 pounds off. I could maybe benefit from that. Not a weight loss program I would recommend, however. All right, so let's get into what we've got going on. Some announcements. Well, yeah, when you lay flat on your back for three weeks, there's not a lot that goes on, so there's not a lot of new announcements as far as what's going on here on the farm. Um, I do want to say, those of you that have reached out in the last four weeks, five weeks, uh, about coming on the podcast please don't think I've uh, crossed you off the list or you didn't qualify for some reason. I just haven't reached out to you because I didn't want to set any dates until I knew exactly when, A, I was gonna be up and mobile, B, I was gonna have enough wind to be able to talk, of course, and see just you know to make sure I could get all those details nailed down. So look for that if you've reached out to me to come on the podcast within the last thirty days and you haven't heard a definite from me, you haven't gotten a date set. Uh, again, please don't think I've abandoned you. I will be following up and we'll get those dates scheduled now that I'm up and kicking. Okay, so let's go ahead and get right into our podcast interview that we have lined up here. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking with Rob Dowdle, and he's with Dowdle Family Farms in Mississippi. And what's neat is his farm property, he's the eighth generation On this property in Mississippi, which I think is so cool. And he gets into a little bit of that detail. But we had really good conversation about how he's balancing his dad's beef operation, kind of a more traditional beef operation with his regenerative model. So there's, there's kind of like this duality going on on his farm that he gets into and discusses. Um, he really gets in and talks about the benefits uh, of the lay of the land. He's got old cotton fields. He's got some great old woodlot. In you know, Mississippi, you're going to have a lot of that stuff. Uh, and he's also just getting a breeding pair of mangalitsas. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out for him. So we may have to follow up with him in a year or so and see how uh, those mangas are working out for him. But without any further ado, let me move on and have Rob... Uh, tell his story, and I will catch you guys on the backside of the discussion. Today I have with me all the way from Mississippi, I have Rob Dowdle with Dowdle Family Farms. Welcome, Rob.
2: Thanks, glad to be here, Troy. Enjoy your podcast, enjoy hearing the stories of the farms and how people are uh, pasturing pigs throughout the U.S. here.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've appreciated the eclectic Variety of, of topics that we've had and, and people on and different locations geographically. It's been uh, it's been a, quite a learning experience. I think if if I'm looking at my notes right, I believe you're um, one of my I think the beginning of my 70th interview. So you're probably 71, 72 somewhere around in there. So it's neat to have that many discussions on file and and glad everybody can find some value in that. all right so let's let's talk about dowdle family family farms and some of the pre-screening info i'm anxious to get into because it sounds like you guys have a storied history with the farm there but first let's talk a little bit about um so you're in mississippi so the first thing i want to ask you of course is how did hurricane ida treat you and then you give me a little details about your farm
2: i'm going to get into trouble if many people in our area hear this but hurricane ida you know we've had one of the wettest years in a while um in my recent memory anyway and um so we've had a lot of great a great summer for growing grasses and forages um and just as it started to get dry a couple times we've had an inch two inches one time 12 inches of rain uh and hurricane ida we got um on our farm just over four and a half inches or so and about half of that occurred over a two-day period so it was kind of a slow soaking rain
1: oh wow rain
2: which was really really nice for us yeah um yeah,
1: you guys dodged a bullet there then
2: yes we did we did we're of course we're in the northern part of the states so we didn't have a whole lot of problems there but um uh other than you know the folks around here growing corn or trying to combine corn and it's getting wet and the fields are wet but yeah. for us it was great
1: yeah. Yeah. You guys fared better than we did. I think we ended up with, I think my rain gauge said about six inches of rain, but fortunately that was spread out enough that it didn't cause any issues for us either. So, well, all right. So tell me about Dowdle Farms. It looks like yeah, from your pre-screening that um, you claim eighth generation on this farm. So that that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. So how, how far back does this property go in the Dowdle name? Um, the first
2: record that we have of our family having the land for sure is 1826. Um, they paid taxes on the land. We think the land came and they got it through the land grant in 1824. Um, but we only know for sure that it was 1826. And my kids, who are um, 5, 8, and 10, and, of course, my siblings' kids, are the uh make the eighth generation of dowdles who have been on the farm worked on the farm grown up on the farm that kind
1: of thing that is very cool yeah so is that um i assume probably back in 1824 1826 it was probably a much bigger farm as far as as acreage goes but but where are you now uh yeah it's 300 acres uh a
2: little over something like that um about a hundred and twenty acres, hundred sixty acres or so of pasture, and then the rest of it is kind of wooded, forested land. Yeah. Um, so it's it's that's kind of where it is now. My dad, um, interestingly enough, my dad purchased the land from his cousins. I believe. Keep in mind, this is I'm going off, not a scripted history that somebody has told me but just sure. from what I've gathered over the years. But my dad, uh when he purchased the land, part of which I think he um inherited, but he purchased it from his cousins. And my dad is a veterinarian by trade. Mm-hmm. And he um he grew up on the land, worked it and got it from his grandfather, whom I was named after. But um you know, so even though the land has been in our family and there's other Dadle family land around ours. It is it has not been just inherited, you know, over the years. It's um, it, a lot of it has has been purchased, and it has been a um, really interesting story. I could go on into that a lot, but it's um, it's really kind of fascinating. My dad, I was two or three. My dad changed more of my diapers on the farm. I've got three siblings. (laughs) And the funny thing about it is that he would, uh, I would want to go to, this is what my parents tell me, I would want to go to the farm with my dad. The other siblings would stay home during the the day, and I'd be out there for hours and hours, and he'd change my diaper out and, one of the little barns um, <laughs> on the property, and I tell people my dad changed more of my diapers on the farm than he ever did off the farm, right. and it's true. Not because he wasn't, not because he wasn't a very engaging dad. He was just that's just where I was with him most of the time. Yeah. Um, but so, and it had originally been uh, cotton. You know, previous generations had cotton. My dad slowly. Uh, transformed you know formed a lot of that into pasture uh, of the pasture land of the open area the grassland now but and um, slowly put up electric high tensile fence i can't tell you how much electric fence we've put up over the years um, kind of stretching all around it and so um, which is is really costly especially when you have a young family and uh, you know you're purchasing land and everything else but um, so most of the time I spent on the farm as a kid, we were all, you know, putting up fences for cattle or working cattle or feeding cattle or that kind of stuff. It was all, you know, cattle based.
1: So, yeah, yeah. Very good. So, so let's talk about that transition between your dad and, and, and you, cause it sounds like, uh, as a veterinarian, that was, that probably kept your dad pretty busy. I assume he was a large animal vet, but did he so he was raising cattle more in a conventional system and was just doing the cattle and then you it, when it was your turn to take over and how that transition happened did did you then kind of go more in a regenerative direction
2: uh <laughs> yes my dad actually was a is a small animal vet okay kid okay and he's the only when they first went into practice I vaguely remember you know, they would do some large animal stuff, but it was mostly, um, you know, goats or a horse here and there. It was, it was still predominantly, you know, uh, pet, a pet practice. Um, but he would, um, and he, he was putting cattle on the land. Um, and, of course, he deals with his own cattle. Um, the, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. I asked him something about pigs. I had some pigs that were supposed to be castrated they were not they were about 40 or 50 pounds and (laughs) i said you know i've castrated hundreds and hundreds of of steers over the years from the time i was eight or ten but i've never castrated pigs And (laughs) and it's a little more uh especially when they weigh about 50 or 60 pounds it's a little more involved than than even the largest cattle but um Anyway, it's just, you know, we didn't have holding facilities or anything, but, um, so he, you know, he'll help out, um, he'll do fecal float smears or or that kind of stuff for me if I'm trying to test for parasites or something, you know, that's, that transforms across all of them. In terms of the transition, we are actually, of course, my dad owns the land. uh, he has his financial operation and I have mine, um, And even though those two financially are very separate um we've i purchase um the the calving crop that he has or some of them or all of them or whatever from him and finish those out like for the the grass finished beef um the uh but for um and we do a lot of rotational grazing my dad was always interested in rotational grazing in fact he used to subscribe to the Stockton grass farmer oh yeah you know but as as uh you know as you get busier and as he's working 60 80 hours a week depending on the week you know it, it just gets kind of chaotic um and the But that transition, you know, some of the stuff that I've done has started that way. I just moved back home uh, just over four years ago uh, from South Georgia. In 2000, I graduated high school, went to college, then went to um, seminary, went to another seminary, and then went to a church in South Georgia. Mm -hmm. And for a variety of—I'm a full-time pastor by trade— And so for a variety of other reasons, while we were in Georgia, just for health reasons, I started doing some gardening stuff, couldn't get, you know, nutrient-dense food that I needed for health reasons, and um, just started doing some market gardening type things. And then, um, uh, it really started a little over five years ago, but... My wife's from Mississippi, from Yazzie County, which is a couple hours away, two and a half hours, 150 miles. And both of our parents are young and healthy. Um, They have time to spend with their grandkids, you know, our kids. Um, We were nine hours away um, driving from my wife's parents and a little over seven hours from mine. And it's, you know, our kids were young enough, our youngest daughter one and we just wanted to be able to be close enough that they could spend more time together um you know without having to do a long you know a a trip you know in 48 hours and 16 of that hours spent driving and (laughs) uh so it's opened up a lot of things uh when we moved back here I started the market gardening stuff and didn't really have a whole lot of a plan my dad has been extremely uh Gracious and forgiving um, with some of my stuff, not because of, of just because I haven't known what I've been doing most of the years, um, you know in the last four years and it's a you know what it's like farm, you know, it's uh, farming is a little bit of a trial and error here and there. Absolutely. and um, my dad has made enough mistakes in his life, and he is able to has been able to kind of offer a lot of insight and wisdom. In that but also when I make mistakes he's you know thoughtful enough that he's um, you know uh, he he understands he's been there and has, has always been has, has always been very supportive
3: yeah.
2: um, we started off with some chickens and that kind of stuff and then uh, in addition to the beef but then three years ago we got our first pigs and that's kind of to redirect this towards you know, pasture pigs. This is that's kind of how we got started yeah. doing pigs. Um, I, I couldn't couldn't find any feeder pigs. I checked our Mississippi Market Bulletin, which is produced by the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, and they, you know, they've got advertisements in there. But every time I would get you know the issue and call, the folks would be you know would have sold the. The weaned pigs already, mm. and I found a lady uh, about 30 miles away that had some American Guinea hogs, and I think I got three or four of them. Um, there's an interesting story there. It's not time to go into it, but uh, they just kind of showed up on the farm one day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But they, uh, and, and it took me a little while to kind of sort out what had happened, but. Um, and so we started off with American Guinea hogs and processed all of those on farm ourselves. Mm. And, um, which was, uh, really good. Very helpful actually. And then come to find out in my wife's hometown, I found a guy that had, this was December. So we'd had those Guinea hogs for about six months. And, uh, this guy had, um, some, feeder pigs that he was selling and, and he raises them my wife grew up with his younger sister and he of course knows their family really well and they breed show pigs and these were just uh, some herefords and some gloucester spots and some others uh, that he had that did not have the markings or configurations or whatever else for show pigs and so he sold them as feeder pigs
3: mm.
2: and so we grabbed those and uh junk from the frying pan into the fire so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it's been it's been kinda of strange. We haven't had a real consistent variety of pigs. My favorite have been Chester White's. Hmm. Um you know, a lot of people because of the light skin, especially here in the south, we get a lot of sun in the summer, they talk about sunburn. We, we provide a lot of shade for our pigs even when they're on pasture. And we really don't put them on pasture, just open pasture much, unless they're, uh, you know, it's in the cooler weather. Um, and so they're, they're normally in a heavily wooded area. So, you know, they can get out of the sun, they can get in the shade. Of course, we have, you know, they'll create wallows and that kind of stuff. Um, the we've had deer, ox, um, just a variety of pigs. We've always bought feeder pigs, and interestingly enough, Saturday I'm going to pick up some uh a breeding trio of Mingo leetses. Um, never had them before, never used them before. Um, if they don't work out, I'll process the kilts and mm. on farm thaw- <laughs> for our family, sure. Um, sure. But they're um, anyway. And this guy is a, a pig breeder that breeds Herefords, but he he had these. He's also starting to raise uh, the Idaho pasture pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he just anyway he was, I think he had these breeding trio for a daughter or something like that. And so uh, we've you know we're getting these purebred Negroes for a uh, pretty good price really good price actually yeah and we'll see how they go i don't i'm not a real big fan of you know fair i am a really big fan of other people fair right, right. Just, <laughs> there's just a there's a lot involved there that uh, i don't have the the time for at the moment but um so we'll see how it goes um so we just get a variety of you know most of what we have right now are chester whites
3: mm-hmm.
2: and some gear mixes um, is what we have on the farm right now
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah and, I, you know, and I, I like that the idea of just working with um, feeders right now kind of getting into your groove and then being able to test sounds like you're getting a some good experience in testing different genetics different breeds that are coming through and then just kind of seeing the. Uh, yeah, the temperament of those different types, and I, I, I will be interested. You'll know, have to follow back up with you in a year or two and see what you think of those mangalites. It's it's funny that you know there's people that absolutely love them, there's people that wouldn't touch them with a ten foot pole. But um, I guess that's the same with anything. So I'd be curious to see how that yeah. uh, how that fits into your model here in the next year or so.
2: Yeah, well the the I've I've heard a lot of great things. If I were I had my brothers, I'll probably have a mangalite to cross mm-hmm. and just as a feeder pig. Of course, then people want more money for them, but like I say, I don't know. There, it's a chance to try the breed, um, you know, and they've, I, I think they're certainly be well suited for you know a family that wants to have one or two pigs to fill the freezers. We get requests for that a good bit, yeah of course we don't pharaohs so um but in our area there are a lot of uh, people who are, who are kind of interested and in, 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 in do that type of stuff and they just have a hard time getting those feeder things and so the mingolites would be a really good option for them i'm not sure how they'll do in our system sure. um yeah. but we'll find out
1: yeah. Uh, yeah Who knows? yeah you don't know until you try definitely all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about your setup. You've, you've given us some some insight there, and I'd like to explore that a little bit. So it sounds like with um, your dad's work when you guys were younger, putting putting in some infrastructure, the high tensile fencing, uh, probably some key perimeter fencing there, and then you have uh, quite a bit of acreage under woodlot that keeps you from kind of getting into his pristine pasture with his cattle. And it um, sounds like there's kind of various zones there that you guys are kind of hang out in. What other details do you have infrastructure for uh, your pastured pigs? And then, of course, even your, your beef operation. How do those two kind of work uh, hand in hand with one another?
2: Well, most of the pigs we get, in fact, none of them have been, um, with the exception of the guinea hogs, none of them have been trained to electric fencing. So I've got a, it started out as a wintering area, kind of a compost heap, truthfully, for, it's about five or 600 square feet got a video on our youtube channel that shows a little bit about it and it's just uh dog wire fencing two by four welded wire fencing uh next to the barn and i just i train them with with you know that half inch poly tape uh on the outside of it um if the training goes well they're out of there in you know a week and a half if it goes poorly sometimes it takes a good bit longer um but we can put wood chips um Leaves, all kinds of stuff in there to help you know to, to create a composting system um, that you know helps deal with the manure and, and create that carbon bedding for them. Um, the um, once they're trained to that, uh, I have used in the past uh, the polywire, but but be honest with you, the poly wire is a pain in the neck if you move frequently and don't have a whole lot of time. And so what I've started doing is last spring uh, we have one acre area of woods uh, with a good number of hard, with mostly hardwood and a lot of oaks in it, uh, several big oaks that I use for high tensile fencing and the pigs have done exceptionally well there. I've got um, a line about waste because cattle run every area that our pigs do, I have to keep a line for the. The cattle, mm-hmm. so I keep about waist high, you know, three feet off the ground or so. Uh, I keep a line to keep the cattle from tripping over the pig fences. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's not necessary, but because I have different sizes of pigs, I just use two high tensile wires. Um, you know, one six or eight inches off the ground, and then another about twenty inches off the ground. Uh, and the pigs, you know, as long as the fence stays on, you know, they do really well. Um, at that area, we've got electricity, you know, close by running water, um, piped water. Um, the area where we, we just set up, or in the process of setting up um, pig paddocks and some woods, uh, most of that, the farm, first of all, is, is kind of spread out. So, in an area where the pigs are trained, it's on one end of the farm, it's 17 acres in the corner of two roads. Uh, so you go east across, west across that road that they're on, that seed tick, you go west across that road, and there's about 70 or 80 acres of pasture, and then on some low spot, there's uh, a section of woods there as well. You go east across that separate road, uh, north across a separate road from that area, and it's uh, there's more You know, pasture and more woodlots. And that's where I'm actually moving the pigs. Now there's a solid gravel road that stays in good shape throughout the year. Um, My dad had it when he purchased the land, he had it cleared years ago. He couldn't pay the, you know, just to pay the the note, the annual note on the the farm loan. And um, so he had it cleared and just what grew back, grew back. Mm. And so, um, there's 50 acres in that area, and on nine of that, I'm setting up individual paddocks that range from half or three quarters of an acre up to an acre. And you know, I'll have eight, I'm setting up eight paddocks there, and then those other 40 acres or so, um, they're divided by a, a drainage ditch and some other and a road and some other stuff but it already has an electric fence perimeter so i'll just i'm just going to put up an electric fence around you know make three paddocks or so out of that area yeah
3: Yeah.
2: and that'll offer an area where i can turn the pigs out and for brief periods of time you know trying to find even trying to find 20 pigs in a 10 acre paddock is a lot harder than it sounds like (laughs) Uh, at least for me especially when it's wildly overgrown yeah um, and they don't always hear when you call. That's the other thing, If they're asleep. Pigs don't, I mean, you can walk right up to them with a,
3: oh, a yeah. drum
2: and they may not hear you. I, that, that's the thing that amazes me more than anything about pigs. But- Yeah, I've always thought mine call. were
1: dead. And a couple times I thought mine were dead because they're sleeping, so sadly I see them up on the hills like, I think that pig's dead. You yeah, beat on the bucket or whatever yeah. and then walk all the way up the hill and then nudge it and he jumps up and scares you to death. <laughs>
2: yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, uh, but anyway, so in that area, just, you know, this time of the year, really starting in October, it'll, it's a low cost, easy way of, of running pigs, you know, to give them more access to other forage opportunities to reduce mm-hmm. and feed costs Yeah, and it'll require very little, very little infrastructure to set up those fences.
1: Yeah, um, Some of those Southern Oaks can really produce a ton of mass, can't they?
2: Oh Yeah. Yeah, they can. It's uh, and a lot of the oaks in these areas are um, like pin oaks, water oaks. There are a few white oaks, and I'm actually thinning out uh, a lot of the trees, the gums, thinning out a lot of oaks, just because you know when you look up into the forest canopy, there's so much there um, that none of the trees do very very well. Right. Um, so it's a that'll be a slow process. It'll be you know, a decade or more before, um, you know, before that stuff is opened up and the trees are decayed and, and it's a little more savanna type yeah, area, but, um, all it takes is time. Right. That's exactly. Right. Um, so,
1: um, but in, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. In
2: that area, we don't have the water or the electricity. That's where I was going and kind of got sidetracked. But, uh, we don't have the water, the electricity in that area, and that's actually the prime area for us to put pigs mm-hmm. uh, right now. And so for water, I just with the uh, IBC tube, uh, take it over there with a the tractor and um, set one IBC tube on top of another frame, and just use a gravity-fed um, uh, water with an electric line across a fifty-gallon rubbermaid. Um, stock tank
3: yeah,
2: and the pigs don't get in the water and destroy the uh or you know you know how will lay in water we can't right they can stick their noses in there and drink but they can't um you know flop the water out i put the water out the last this is the first batch i just moved out there i put a 275 gallon tank full of water out there a week ago and they've used including the bit of water that i drained out of there to ferment their feed. They've used, you know, maybe seventy-five or a hundred gallons mm. of that uh, just for drinking. Now I do haul more water out there for in a dry area or whatever else, you know, for them to wall up. Sure. But in terms of drinking, it's you know uh, they use. And now there are only seven pigs in that bunch, yeah. but they're okay. you know, two hundred two hundred fifty pounds right now. So
1: yeah. Um, so so, with looking at that setup and and the number of pigs you're talking about, let's um, – I, I know we kind of touched upon this briefly, but maybe circle back around here. So get everyone that's listening to understand that, that you've got a polyculture setup in your farm business plan. So you're raising pastured beef, pastured pork, you have uh, pastured poultry, and then there's even some uh, honey products, some things you're doing at the apiary there. So all of that working together um, – is that something that you look at and say, okay, right now, um, the percentage of this is greater than that. What, what is your, what is your largest, um, operation right now? Is it your cattle over everything else?
2: Yes. By far the largest is, is the cattle. And primarily because it's the infrastructure's there, it's already set up. I can uh, pay my dad a premium for his. and, And i over the last year and a half, especially I've started to do a good bit more of the managing of his cows, which is kind of a weird relationship since it's his money. Um, but, uh, you know, by far the beef is, is the, the largest part of it financially and land wise as well. Um, infrastructure set up for that. The pork is really one of those things that I'm trying to, Encourage and push uh, the pork production more over the next year or so because it's um, there's so much potential for pigs to you know uh, improve soils, and our soils are just in horrible shape for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But there's so much opportunity, you know, for pigs to do that, there's a um, less time turnaround. In terms of from the time you bring them on farm or from the time you farrow them to the time they're finished, um, you know, that's a whole lot easier as well. It's also an easy way for people to, um, you know, if they want to purchase a pig and process it themselves, you know, at their house or what, you know, deer camp or wherever they do it, um, it requires a little more infrastructure to do that with beef. Um, So there's a, there's some good opportunity, uh, there for the pigs. And as the infrastructure increases, um, you know, for the feed and for everything, you know, it's, there's a lot less time, you know, raising 15 pigs at a time, uh, you know, it's a whole lot more work than raising. Well, it's more work than raising two, but jumping from 15 to 50, you know, once you got the infrastructure in place, Uh, which we're just about to kind of tweak out, you know, we can, we can raise 20 to 50 at a time with very little more, you know, additional effort.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly.
2: Uh, And so, um, you know, the pork is also an easy thing. And most of our sales, we do both. Uh, We do direct farm sales of whole and half animals across the board and also uh, individual retail cuts of meat. Okay. And the um, interestingly enough, um, more we're doing more um, retail cuts, more of the cheaper retail cuts over the last couple of years, really since the pandemic started. Whereas uh, some of our first beef, we sold the premium stuff, and I was trying to figure out what to do with you know 100 pounds of ground beef. And now um, yeah. our last beef that I took <laughs> this past. Uh, that I brought back from the processor this past month, all that front chuck area. I mean, I just had ground up as ground beef because there's such a demand for it. Yeah. And you know, with pigs, um, the individual cuts on ours. You know, most people when they're looking at paying seven, eight, nine dollars a pound, they'll pay ten, eleven dollars, twelve dollars a pound for bacon. Yeah. Uh, they may not purchase as much of it. They'll pay nine or ten dollars a pound for pork chops. Um, uh, but you know, when you start getting into a four pound Boston, butt at seven, even at $6 a pound, you know, they're, uh, my goodness, that's an expensive piece Mm -hmm. of meat just for, for whatever. But when you grind it up, which is also cheaper in processing, especially the hams, um, you know, it's a cheaper cut of meat and it's produced more cheaply and a little easier, honestly, than our ground beef. Even though uh, we have feed costs associated with pigs that we don't have with our grass finished beef, um, and we don't have as much capital tied up uh, in the pigs either. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, the, we have the capital tied up, but it's for a shorter period of
3: time,
1: right,
2: you know, exactly. six months, rather than two years. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's um, great, great for cash flow. And that's and that's why I, I mean I I talk about this. Obviously, I'm not in that position to do cattle, but I, I just love the kind of the money triangle you get with, you know, the cattle, the pork and the chicken, that um, there's pros and cons to all three, but when it looks at cash flow, you know, you can cash flow chicken in eight weeks, pig in six to seven months, and then, then your cattle is your bigger investment in two years. And um, that really has yeah. a nice balance to it.
2: That's right. Yeah. And the capital investment, even though you're not paying for feed for capital, you've got the capital investment of the cost of the livestock, but also the infrastructure I yeah. mean with, with 20 pigs to be able to raise them on 10 acres, you know, if you move them, if you calculate your moves pretty well and assuming that, you know, your ground's not underwater or something, you, know, you can do 20, 30, 40 pigs on on at one time on 10 to 12 acres. And to do 10 or 12 cows and not have to buy hay year round, you know, it, it takes a, a lot more um, acreage. And that acreage, you know, the the infrastructure investment for that acreage is is also significantly higher. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's all around. Pigs are a they're really a phenomenal way to start and to begin the process. Uh, you know, without a, you know the additional infrastructure set up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so there with your with your processing. So you said you're doing uh, customs with holes and halves, and then and then doing retail cuts. Are you accessing USDA, or is Mississippi a state inspected state that that you don't have to go USDA? <laughs> I, <laughs> there's always there's always I, 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 a story behind I, processing, isn't there? I, I should be able to
2: answer this much better than I can, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure. We process at a USDA inspected facility now. Mississippi has state inspected laws, but for the most part, the state inspected. And, and if you look at the Department of Agriculture and Commerce's website, they have state inspection, which allows you to do in-state and all, but honestly the USDA inspection, that, that's the closest one that I have. Mm. Um, and I, I say that, I don't, I'm starting at a new processor for this group of pigs, October 5th. It's, Mississippi State University at their meat lab Hmm. and they don't take they don't take animals year round they just take a few for their processing and I need to check my label out and see if it's state inspected or federal inspected but I'm I'm assuming that it's federally inspected but federal inspection is is what we have had and that's what you know it's just easier to go that route than try to, to do other stuff but I don't think that's true in most states. I think Mississippi is just a little unique there.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's you know, all about uh, availability and quality of, of each, and it seems like, um, depending on where you are, yeah, you know, I get envious of some of these guys we talk to in the Midwest where they've got, oh, I've got six USDA processors you know, an hour drive away from me, so I get to choose one or the other, and, and, and I've got to leave the state pretty much to find a USDA processor. that that'll accommodate me. So it is uh, it is different based on regions. You know.
2: Yeah, and see, our biggest problem is just having a processor, period. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple custom processing plants, but I don't, one of them, I would not, I took an animal to once and I, I won't go back. Um, in large part because I didn't follow instructions, but also I, I was not real impressed with the, the facility. Um, but they paper wrap their products, you know, and when somebody's spending for beef, if they're spending two to three thousand dollars for a beef, if they're spending, you know, a thousand dollars or so for a pig, uh, you know, it costs 20 cents more, uh, less than 20 cents more per pound about 12 cents a pound more for it to be vacuum sealed, that packaging in and of itself is you know real cheap compared to you know what they're paying for for the rest of it but our our usda processing facility you know we've got one close to us um again mississippi state which is 20 miles away it's much closer but we just can't you know they just don't take animals all the time um yeah but the um you know, access to the processors is our biggest problem. And so you just
1: take what you can get, and ours happens to be USDA. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's, I think that's going to be an issue for a while for a lot of us, and and until something changes there with some of the uh, federal laws, and uh, or there's there's something that's going to incentivize these these guys to go in and start new businesses, new processing facilities opening up. I don't see any incentive right now to do it, but um, but maybe maybe that'll change. No.
2: And there are some options for Mississippi. There's a guy starting a mobile slaughter trailer, um, a mobile slaughtering unit, you know, eighteen wheeler trailer um, that can. That's going through inspe- USDA inspection now. In fact, by the time this is posted online, I don't know when it will be published, but I would assume he would he'll be available by then. He'll be approved by then, uh, and he can come and slaughter you know on site the problem with that though is that uh you'll you know the farm will have to have a state inspected uh i think it's the health department uh an inspected kitchen to be able to break down those individual carcasses
1: yeah yeah and
2: we don't do the the volume to justify that cost right now yeah exactly
1: Um, yeah that's a whole separate facility there that you got to build yeah
2: now there's a guy in south mississippi Um, Ben Simmons at Nature's Gourmet Farm uh, just outside of petal who installed uh, his own processing facility both for chicken a couple years ago and then for uh, red meat Uh, he just got the facility done uh, this year in April or so Um, but he's the only one that I would know of that would actually be able to take advantage of that right now. but that may be an option for some of us, you know, uh, once we, you know, reach the threshold where we can justify spending twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars on a processing facility.
1: Right. Right. But, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That that math's got to work out there for that to happen. Yeah. Well, Rob, tell me. Uh, you, you've talked a little bit about some of the things you're working on now and what you're expanding into, but what do you think long-term goals are? What, uh, what do you see five years down the road uh, with, with the farm? What do, what do you hope to happen?
2: <laughs> I, I, I do not know, to be honest with you. Um, I would like to increase our, um, obviously, our pork production um, and get it on a better schedule and also time our beef production a little bit better. Um, we're now state certified to, you know, to sell honeybees and that kind of stuff. Um, at some point, we'll do more poultry, um, but you know, pastured eggs. You know, we did pastured eggs with a hundred hens or so for a while, mm. and it's one of those things that you can have ten or twenty, you know, or you can have. 500, But I think anywhere in between is more trouble than it's worth is my is what I found out. I haven't had the 500. That number may be 1000. But, um, you know, and likewise, with the the Mississippi, even though Mississippi follows federal law in terms of poultry exemptions, uh, you know, the 1000 exemption and then the 20,000 bird exemption. Yeah. The Department of Agriculture and Commerce will not allow um, the twenty thousand processing. That's a whole another story for a whole another day. Oh wow! Yeah, and 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 I may at some point I may increase poultry production, but it's so labor intensive compared to some of these other you know operations yeah. um, that that you know who knows. Um, my biggest. Goal. I mean, I, I enjoy doing what I do, doing. I've, I've done it, you know, since the time I was knee-high to a short goat. But I have um, my dad, the running joke in our family years and years ago was, how do you make a small fortune in the cattle business? <laughs> and the answer is you start out with a large one. Exactly. And, you know, he's uh, my dad. You know, he's still working. He's not retired and in a large part. Of course, he had four kids as well, don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, in large part to pay for the farming, the farming ventures and all that kind of stuff. And um, my hope and my goal is for the farm to be um, profitable. It doesn't have to be lucrative, but to be profitable, you know, at what we're doing to to regenerate the landscape of the farm and to provide value for our community uh, so that you know, if someone wants to, um, you know, come and grab some pork or beef or honey or honeybees or whatever, they can do so. And they know where it's coming from. They know that it's healthy. They know that it's, it's, we raise it. And we go out of our way to, you know, to raise it in a way that uh, is as nutrient dense as possible. Um, and that's, um, Ultimately, that's kind of what I hope to see. I don't, we won't in fact, <laughs> That won't be a complete. Uh, that dream I don't think will be completed, but I think we'll be on a better, better path to get there. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: absolutely. So, so do you think you'll uh, you'll still be preaching full time in five years? Is is that the plan to to wean that back, or or is uh, the way it works out with a pastor that 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 could let you ride off into the sunset into retirement that way? <laughs>
2: I don't know the both churches I've served at as a pastor have been been very good and very gracious. Um, There's and I you know I enjoy what I do. Um, The I also enjoy the farming stuff. Um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I would um, if I were to be fired, and I, I say that jokingly. I realize nobody's going to know. I, I've always joked about getting fired, being a pastor, but um, but if I were to be fired, I would probably scale up and be a little more intense about the, the farming stuff. Um, it's kind of strange. I'm in the process of completing, writing up a PhD dissertation on um, some New Testament studies, irony in the Gospel of John. Not that anybody cares about that, but it'd be, it's very ironic that I'm doing a PhD dissertation on a topic that no one cares about, which is not abnormal for PhD programs. Right. But, you know, usually people do that so they can get a larger church or be more productive or whatever else. Yeah. And I, <laughs> if anything, I'd be more interested in uh, scaling down, um, not not leaving the pastor and not even leaving my church. But, um, you know, I, I'm certainly not interested in trying to get a larger church or or
3: anything
1: along those lines? Gotcha. Well, I, so, I, figured, who, I, your, I figured, your, figured your dissertation would be on the uh, the Synoptic Gospels and, and Jesus casting the uh, demons into swine, and, and how that relates to farming practices then, and, and that area of the Decapolis. <laughs> <laughs> well, there
2: <laughs> there is a there is the potential there, but I started <laughs> this dissertation nine years ago, <laughs> right. and. Uh, for some health reasons and moving, it's been delayed. Um, but yeah, that that would be a, a good <laughs> that would be a very good uh, topic there. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I, uh, we I uh, actually ran across. I was actually le- leading a discussion uh, a couple months ago about that very thing, and it was it was just kind of tongue in cheek, simply because being a pig guy, it's like yeah, yeah, those poor pigs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, makes for some easy discussion. Well, wonderful. So, I, obviously, I can't let you go yet, Rob, without asking our closing question. So, um, so I have to ask you, what is your best experience or favorite parts about raising pigs on pasture?
2: Oh, man. I've known you were going to ask that and haven't known how to answer that. I'm <laughs> not right. sure that I can limit it to one. Um, I, I, one of the things that interests me the most about pigs is that they are just extremely... Um, Temple Grandin, in one of her books I think it's Animals Make Us Human but she talks about how animals uh, especially pigs uh, have this seeking behavior that kind of engages a a, a part of them And that, if I remember correctly she had said that you need to put a piece of straw or a handful of straw in a pen with pigs and that would entertain them even on concrete wherever else for a day um, of course, they need new stuff, and the the thing that amazes me about the pigs is when they go into a new paddock, and this is honestly one of the reasons of designing smaller paddocks to put more pigs in and to move them more frequently, that, you know, they'll go around and they'll look at, at stumps that are half rotten and root right around them. Uh, you put something new in their pen and they go in there and they play with it, they run, they jump around it's really fascinating behavior. They're just incredibly, and people talk about how smart they are, but they're incredibly inquisitive, at least in my limited experience, they seem to be. And so even dropping uh, with a little tractor on the loader, I'll drop a half rotten log into the pen a little while later. then the pigs just have a blast uh, playing with it. They'll stop for a while, lose, you know, attention, and then they'll come back a few hours later, play with it some more and, and, break it down but it's amazing to see in that process how they'll the, they'll break down trees um probably my most humorous moment though in our training pen with our pigs this batch that we got in a couple weeks ago um and they're chester whites they um you know one of them though i feed them by hand and i usually feed them fermented feed and mix in a little bit of, of Help me with it but uh, i feed them by hand you know so that they get used to me and, and so forth and uh, after a couple of days i'll just sit there after i dump the feed out and i'll touch them you know and they usually pull away uh of course these are not pigs that were born on the farm or anything and they'll usually pull away or startle and you know how pigs act when they get startled yeah but one of them uh and we find this with every single group Something, some of them, one of them does something just really crazy. And this one, when you put your hand on her, it's like she jumps four feet directly into the air. Um, (laughs) It's just this, this, the standard squeal, but she just, and then one time she did a somersault while she was in there. I don't know how she did it. Don't know why she did it. Don't know what happened. You know, one pig was, we would dump leaves um, in the pig paddocks uh, bags of leaves that we got from town. Uh, in an area where, where we were doing our garden, and we dumped the leaves in there. And one pig, she was a, a Gloucester spot, she would run through the leaves and kick her feet up in there. In fact, I have a, a video. It's not the best video, but I've got a video of it on a YouTube channel where she just runs in the air and scatters the leaves and jumps in the leaves like a kid does. Right. And, you know, it's it's the individual personalities. They're, they're different. Uh, it is secrecies and stuff that it's it just fascinates me about the pigs um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's not a simple easy or brief answer but no, that,
1: <laughs> no, that was good stuff yeah no I agree i I think I think the anecdotal experiences with the the pigs themselves are what really endear at least endear me to them more just just because like you said with the personality the entertainment the, the inquisitive nature the entertaining nature I mean they 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 play with one another, and and even as they get older, it's it's funny. They just yeah. there's just something about um, yeah when they seem to be content, when they seem to have their their basic needs met, then they they just get to have fun, and it's it's really interesting to watch. Yeah,
2: and it's it's <laughs> we had one last year. We had a, a daycare come out with their four year olds uh, preschoolers. And wanted to see the farm. We took them around the farm, and we had a young set of pigs and a big set of pigs was about to go to the processor. And the ones that were about to go to the processor, I let them go up to the pen, but I wouldn't let them actually in the pen because uh, a couple of gilts were in the heat. Hmm. And it, it's funny, you know. And this was kind of a first for me, but you know, I patted one, and she locked up, and I was that was kind of interesting. But um, the day before, the reason I wouldn't let the kids in there is the day before one of them was in heat. And not only did she lock up when I was petting her, but she pinned me against a tree <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, yeah. and,
2: and I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting behavior. And that, that may be normal, but it's, you know, that's just, that's the joy of having pigs. They, they play, they jump, they run, they, they each have their own personalities and, and different things. And, and again, maybe that's normal behavior for pigs. I don't know, but uh, it's, they're they're really fun animals to have, much yeah. more so than,
3: than yeah.
2: poultry and
3: even yeah, co- even
2: yeah.
1: cattle. Not a lot of personality in a chicken, that's for sure, compared to a pig. But yeah, no, that's I right. I definitely agree with you on that. In fact, it seems like at times some of the like some of my older sows definitely like to uh, mess with me. I've got one that's the oldest, and she when she comes in heat, she likes to stand right in the middle of the road where I'm driving up to the barn to to feed them. And when she's in heat, she just locks up. And it's like, you know, you've got a, you've got a 800-pound roadblock there that you, you can't move very easy. <laughs> <laughs> because she's, she's like, I'm going to stand here until you do something. So, yeah, That's he, right. keeps it interesting. Well, all right, man, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, if people want to find out more about your farm, where can they find you online?
2: Um, our website is Dowdle Family Farms. That's farms with an S dot com. Dowdle, D-O-W-D-L-E. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, although I'm not a real big social media fan. In fact, the only time I'm on is to post something. Yeah. Um, and then we've got a few videos on YouTube. It's not the most uh, – anyway, they just offer a little bit of information. But our, our website is probably um, the most informative there. All right.
1: Well, I'll be sure to uh, link that in the show description so you guys can check that out that are listening and if you want to find out more about what Rob's got going on. Well, Rob, man, I appreciate you coming on, and um, I pray you have a good week and, and pray that dissertation works itself out. That ought to be interesting.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. I've got a day and a half to submit another chapter that's uh, not going well. But anyway, I appreciate it. Enjoy your podcast. I appreciate what you do. Um, I've not looked at all your video, your, your Red Toolhouse videos, but it, what I have seen, I'm, I'm really fascinated by um, I tend to do more audio stuff as I'm working through the farm and sure. video, but really enjoy what, what y'all are doing. Appreciate, uh, what you're doing to get more pigs out on pasture yeah. um, and, and help our, the learning experience of all of us.
1: Good deal, man. Well, I appreciate it. Well, you have a good day. Well, all right, well I really appreciate Rob coming on the podcast and sharing his story with us. Uh, really interesting. Uh, uh, I love what he's got going on down there in Mississippi. Before we let you guys go, just uh, keep in mind, we've got the Patreon uh, option out there. If you want to support what we're trying to do here with the podcast, Um, I know, again, being flat on my back for three weeks, haven't uh, been able to work on uh, some of those elements there, some of the additional marketing episodes, and uh, of course, some of the things we're launching now that we've reached our first goal, but I'm dangerous close to that. So uh, hopefully the end of this month, we'll be ready to roll that out. Uh, lord willing and the creek don't rise so uh, check check that out if you are interested in supporting us those of you that have been supporting so faithfully over the past year man i thank you i cannot tell you uh, what a blessing it is for you all to do that i know that raising hogs and doing this stuff that every dime is needed and it it is not lost on me that you part with five ten or fifteen dollars a month to um, to support what we've got going on here it's greatly appreciated And uh, I'm anxious just to keep building it and to be able to turn any of that back into a reinvestment into what we're doing here and hopefully just keep building a a bigger and bigger pastured pig community. Well, all right. Well, uh, look forward to some more upcoming episodes and uh, we've got, um, I've still got quite a few I think I've got three or four in the bag already so uh, we'll definitely be able to get through December and into January and then like I said with some of these uh, others that we've got scheduled we'll just keep on trucking. If you'd like to be on the podcast of course just simply reach out you can just email troy at redtoolhouse.com. Ideally um, I'd like you to to go to redtoolhouse.com pastured pig podcast and use the form that's kind of a pre-screener and that just helps me get my notes together uh, just a couple of questions you have to answer there, just so I can uh, be ready to have a good discussion with you. Again, appreciate everybody watching. Uh, those of you that had been uh, following us on the channel and uh, the YouTube channel and knew uh, of our health situation, I thank you so much for the prayers and the well wishes. They were greatly needed and greatly felt, and it means a lot to me that uh, that you guys reached out and checked on us and and uh, inquired about us and, and prayed for us. So. Thank you so much for that, and um, we'll look forward to talking to you guys soon. Take care.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.